I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried to him. There's verses 22 to 24 of Psalm 22, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, October the 14th, 2022. So those verses, you're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, by the way, and I'm John Green, your host. So um, just by the way, those verses are, that that's part of the psalm that Jesus quoted from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that there, you can read that, and the way that you should read that psalm and hear Jesus's voice is to, he, he by, it, by um, inference, he quotes the entire psalm is, is what's intended there, because it, it's wrapped around itself. And so you begin with this, why have you forsaken me? And it goes through all the difficulties and, and the enemies that have surrounded him, but then comes full circle to that right there. I will tell of your name to my brothers. Uh, he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And what was the cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so you can read that in that way, read it by inference that it brings in the entire psalm, which ultimately says he'll live forever. So anyway, that's just the way to hear that on um, Good Friday when you hear that lesson read. So um, today we're we're moving into a new book, and it's an apocryphal book, and, and y'all know this is not my favorite thing in the world, um, but I'm choosing to do it anyway. It's it's from Ecclesiasticus, which is also known as the Wisdom of Ben Sirah, um, and so we'll we'll look at that. It's it's chapter one, the first ten verses, and then um, we're still in Luke's Gospel in uh, chapter nine, verses twenty eight to thirty six, which is the story of the Transfiguration, and then in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we're, we're wrapping up today with uh, Acts 28 verses 1 to 16. <clears throat> so in this Ecclesiasticus passage, the, the, it's it, like, as I said, it's wisdom literature, which means it, it's proverb-ish uh, kind of literature. And so there, there's some interesting things in here. And, and if you can hear Ecclesiastes in it, I mean, it's just, it's so very, very close in its tone and in, in its um, point of view, I guess is the best way to say it. But what you see, and I'm going to point this out as we go along, this is so much, um, there's, there's a lot of philosophy in this, and a lot of pretty modern philosophy, frankly, is going to be in it, including sort of a touch of nihilism. Uh, but it, but But the point of the book is not to point out nihilism, which means nothing really matters. Uh, and and so it's a hopeless and helpless way to live because it's a recognition that nothing matters at all, and and you know it's it, it's it's certainly an option for the way to come at things, but not not as a Christian. There's there shouldn't be a Christian nihilism, um, and so what we see in this is is we're we're going to get a flavor of Ecclesiastes in this, but like I said, some other modern philosophy as well, and and there's not a lot of uh, until you get to postmodernism. There's not a lot new under the sun, and then you get to postmodernism, and then it's just so novel and, and such nonsense, frankly. When you get to deconstructionism, which is the that words only mean whatever the reader thinks they mean. That it's that meaning is is con, construed by the one who receives the text, not by the one who writes the text. In fact, it just doesn't matter what it is you intended for that text to say. It's only what the meaning is to the one who receives the text. 
that's deconstructionism. And so words don't mean what you think they mean. And, and it explains the world that we live in today, frankly. It's, it explains so much of uh, the world that we live in today. And, and it's how you get to things like, you know, transgenderism and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, that's deconstructionism taken its, to its logical end. Um, so, for they, they reasoned unsoundly, saying to themselves, short and sorrowful is our life. You hear it, they reasoned unsoundly, right? Short and sorrowful is our life, and there's no remedy when a life comes to its end. So life doesn't actually mean anything. It's just short and difficult. And at the end of it, it what, what difference does it make? It's over. And no one has been known to return from Hades. For we were born by mere chance, and hereafter we shall be as those, though we had never been, for the breath in our nostrils is smoke. And that word there, <clears throat> is, the Hebrew word is hevel. It's the same word that, that you see in Ecclesiastes translated as vanity, 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 all is vanity. Um, mist is another way to say it. It's sort of like, it's not even smoke, really. It's more like the, the, um, the vapor when you uh, exhale in the wintertime. If you blow your breath, it's that vapor that lasts about a second. It, 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 the the um, Hebrew word is hevel, which we translate in Genesis 2 as abel. So the, the son of uh, Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, Genesis 4. Um, and so that's that word. So the, our breath in our nostrils is smoke. And so it, it's, a, it, it's the reason that he's named Abel is because he was, and he's just vaporous because he was gone so quickly. And reason is a spark kindled by the beating of our hearts. When it's extinguished, the body will turn to ashes. And so the reason actually dies with us as well, is the idea there. And the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Our name will be forgotten in time, and no one will remember our works. Our life will pass away like traces of a cloud and be scattered like mist that's chased by the rays of the sun and overcome by its heat. For our allotted time is passing, is the passing of a shadow, and there's no return from our death because it's sealed up and no one turns back. It's a hopeless way of living. It's this sort of... Um, just just basic nihilism, it, 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 which is, you know, if you want to know what that looks like, it's Friedrich Nietzsche. And so what it says is there is no actual external meaning in life. And so if you want to have meaning in their life, even though you know it's really just an illusion, you have to con- construe your own meaning. And, and the way that, one of the ways Nietzsche says that you have to do that is you have to actually deal with things like religion. And you deal with religion by saying, you know, basically you, you, you say no. That's it. That's how you deal with it. God says, um, thou shall and, and shalt not, and, and then the response is, I will. I'll do what I want. So I, it's, it's thumbing your nose at God. But, but it's, see if you can hear in, in uh, that passage for our allotted time is the passing of a shadow. If, see if you can hear in that a soliloquy that, that comes from Macbeth. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And so that, that is the philosophy of Macbeth, ultimately, is, is that, it, that, that it doesn't mean anything. Uh, come, therefore, he says, let us enjoy the good things that exist. So if our lives don't mean anything, if there's no purpose or meaning, then then let's just have a good time. That's Epicureanism. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And make full use of the creation as in youth. In other words, carpe diem, seize the day. 
Let us take our fill of costly wine and perfumes and let no flower of spring pass us by. Let us crown ourselves with rosebuds before they wither. Let none of us fail to share in our revelry everywhere. Let us leave signs of enjoyment because this is our portion and this is our lot. Let us oppress the righteous poor man. Let us not spare the widow or regard the gray hairs of the aged. For what's the point? Ultimately, they don't get it. The joke's on them. They don't understand that this life has no meaning, and if they did, then, well, they'd be having fun like us. And so let's, let's just do what we want to do. Let, let's make, you know, let's enjoy life rather than going about trying to be righteous, and, and because I'm righteous, then I'm poor, and blah, 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 blah. So it, it, the point is to say, you know, it's here, might as well enjoy it. Might as well have a good time and live life to the full. In the and that's what it that I mean when you don't see meaning in life when you don't see purpose in life when you don't see that that there is more to life than just this life when you don't see the unseen realities of the spiritual realities and you don't believe in uh, eternal life then you have very few choices available to you frankly um, it, very few honest choices and that's certainly an honest choice if that's what you believe um, it, it's wrong. <laughs> So in the in the gospel today, let's say it's the transfiguration, and, and about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And so the appearance of his face was altered. That, that should remind you of Moses' shining face whenever he was in the presence of God. But here, it's the other way around. God's not there. Moses and Elijah are going to be there. God's there. <laughs> the appearance of his face was altered. And, and so what happens is, is that with Moses, I've said this before, that it's like when he's with God, he comes back out and his face is shining. He has essentially a God tan because he's been so close to God and in such close proximity with him that this happens. Now, there have been times in my life, several times in my life, in fact, when people have prayed for me or when I really felt like I was in the presence of God, when I came away believing that, that wow, man, I feel like I'm running a temperature. It feels like my, my body temperature is elevated, but not in a bad way. So at one point, I was in a group, and um, I took some time to go out and, and ask somebody to pray with me, and I was confessing some sin and asking for prayer for forgiveness. I came back to the table of people that were there and sat down, and as I sat down, the person next to me was not close, close to me. I mean, we weren't like touching one another or anything, but but she looked and said, oh my gosh, y'all, come here, feel this. It feels like his skin feels like I'm touching the sun. And it was like, thank you for the confirmation that what I felt is is, is real <laughs> in a sense that you noticed it too. And, and it's just very, very strange. And I, I've only had it happen a few times in my life. Um, but, but here with Jesus, it's not a God tent. No, it's like the veil. Moses has to veil his face to hide it. It's like the Jesus's uh, flesh hid the glory, and here on the mountain, it's fully revealed as he meets with these two who have come from heaven to meet with him. It that veil is is kind of lifted, and and then this is coming from within. It's not something imposed on him. It's like the his flesh is acting as a veil to cover the glory and partially obscure it. So here, that's exactly what you see. So then these two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Oh, and by the way, it's such a powerful thing that even his clothing becomes dazzling white. He transfigures everything. So, Like I said, it's as though the veil is lifted, the veil of his flesh is suddenly become, it shines forth through all that. 
these two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, these are the two men who, who did have these close encounters with the living God, um, Moses on the mountain and Elijah in the, uh, in the cave on the same mountain. And so you, you get these two guys who show up, and it's on a different mountain. It's on Mount Horeb. Um, but it, it's, it's not the mountain of transfiguration, but they appeared in glory as well. They'd been glorified because they had passed, well, and Moses had passed through death and into life, and and Elijah ha- had never died, remember? And so they're speaking of his departure, and the Greek word there is exudon, which is the same as the word for exodus. Um, he, he's going to make an exodus, which he's about to accomplish or fulfill at Jerusalem. So they're talking with Jesus about this. Now, he has just spoken with the disciples about this very thing, and, and they didn't believe it. Remember, Peter lectured Jesus about that very thing, that, that the Christ isn't going to die and all that kind of stuff. And so, so now, here you see Moses and Elijah speaking with him. And, and people always ask the question, you know, how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? There wouldn't have been pictures of them floating around. You didn't have them on the, on the mantle or whatever. And it would have been the context of the conversation. It would have been how they would have known this. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, why does he want to do that? He wants to preserve this moment. He wants to learn from these three men. He, he, oh, hey, we can learn a lot right here in conversation with these three guys, you know, hearing these guys riff with one another. This is great. Let's just preserve this. Let's, let's keep this going a little while. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. The only place that word appears outside of the context of the transfiguration, and it's used in all three Gospels it, for the transfiguration. The only other place it comes is where? Where does something overshadow? That's right. It's the, You're going to be overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary isn't going to give birth. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. So it's similar to, in some ways, the the way that that, uh, God appeared in Exodus on the mountain. A cloud descends, Moses descends into the cloud. Here, the cloud comes over them, and they were afraid as they entered it. I'll bet they were. I'll bet this was truly a frightening moment. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. In other words, the other two guys are gone. So what, what they, it, this is a teaching moment, I believe, for Peter and the others. And I believe that teaching moment is, is for them and them alone. They need to know going forward that, that Jesus is all they need. He is the fulfillment of everything from the other two, and he it supersedes all of them. And he's greater than them because he came before them. And so they needed to see this. They needed to know this. They needed this particular revelation in order that they wouldn't be confused later and try and um, try and fit everything together. And the voice says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And then when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of they had seen. Now, through the other gospels tell us that Jesus told them not to, but there's this, what a powerful moment, but I, like I said, I believe there's a particular reason these three guys who will be leaders in the church, I believe there's a particular reason those three men needed this particular revelation. And, and as I've said before, I also believe that Moses and Elijah are there 
to encourage Jesus to finish his race in ways that neither of them was able to finish their race. And, and they're encouraging him for two reasons. One of those reasons would be that, that they want to see him do this, and, and they've been there and done that. They were would-be saviors of the people and failed in their missions, and so they want to see Jesus do this, but also because they need Jesus to do it, because he's their savior too. In the Acts passage, after we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta, and this is after the ship broke up. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us round it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, justice would be the personification of, of some sort of God figure, right? I mean, because justice ha- has to have context and has to have content. So justice can't just exist in the universe unless you call it karma. Um, that would be the, the idea here. And, and it makes some sense that they would have come to that conclusion because they would have known Paul was a prisoner. <clears throat> he, however, he, Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. So there's a case of mistaken identity here. He must be a murderer, and the proof is that he's been bitten by a viper and he's going to die. He would have had the death penalty, but, well, he, he escaped to sea, but, but it ain't going to happen for him. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead, but after they waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was God. We've heard that before, too, right? And Paul and uh, Barnabas at Lystra and Derby, they thought he was they thought he was a god, but for complete they thought they were gods, but for completely different and weird reasons. But but it's all mythology and it's all bad religion. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, which would be a Roman name who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. I mean, it's just hilarious. Luke gives us like one sentence, so two sentences actually. So we know that Publius's father is sick, and then he immediately tells us that Paul visited him, and oh yeah, he cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Now, Again, why, why do we do this thing of, of separating this and, and saying that, okay, these things don't happen anymore? Why don't we expect God to act in these ways today? Why don't we expect God to heal people? And Paul seemed to believe at Corinth and other places that, that the, the manifestation of the Spirit for healing and things like that, power manifestations, should accompany the proclamation of the gospel in order to authenticate it in the same way that it had when, when Jesus preached the gospel. He said, they bestowed many honors on us, and when we were about to sail, they put on board all the provisions we needed. I mean, Paul went from being a prisoner to being presumed to be a murderer, to believed to be in a god, to receiving honors, all in one space of just three days on this island. Three months later, we set sail on a ship that had withered on the island, Winter, sorry, on the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin brothers as its figurehead. Now, who are these twin brothers? I mean, if you know much about mythology, you, you should immediately say, well, those are, that's Castor and Pollux, the sons of, um, of Leda. And, and they are interesting in that they had two different fathers, even though they were twins. Um, <laughs> so Castor's father was Tyndarius, the king of Sparta, and Pollux was the divine son of Zeus. 
So they they have these two uh, on the ship, these two twin, the twin brothers is what it's called here. And so how does this work? Well, the two knew and loved one another. um, And and so Pollux, who was divine, asked Zeus to confer immortality onto his twin, who had an earthly father, in order that they would be together. And so they were then transformed in the constellation of Gemini, and they were regarded as patrons of sailors. And to, to the sailors, they were known also by something else, which is the name of a famous movie from the 80s, which would be St. Elmo's Fire. So that that's why the twin brothers would be the figureheads on this thing. They were the patron saints of sailors, and they represent the constellation Gemini. So we put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. Then we weighed anchor and came to Regium. After a day there, a southern wind um, sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. So now they're on the on the Italian continent or not continent, but they're, they're in Italy now. There we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. So, and the, so we came to Rome. The believers from there, when they heard of us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I'm among brothers. There are these here that I've written to who I've longed to see and longed to meet. And now finally I do. Not the way that I would prefer, but, but he thanked God and took courage because he had brothers there. And that's the way we ought to act. And that's the way we ought to feel whenever we meet brothers, whether we meet them in the gym, we meet them wherever we happen to be, because I tend to meet them in the gym. Um, so it, it's, it's a glorious and wonderful thing, and I thank God for my brothers and sisters that I, that I, have, that I meet in the gym, that I meet wherever it is that I meet them. We were, I, I've told you recently, Suzanne and I were out hiking. Stopped a guy who just, he's out in the middle of nowhere. He's got on overalls. He's an older guy. He's not dressed like he's going to hike at all. He, he's, he's got two dogs with him in a place where there's not supposed to be any dogs. We ended up talking to him about the dogs for a little bit. And before we left, he said, let me ask you something. He said, I want to encourage you. Uh, if you're Christians, I want to encourage you in your faith. And if you're not, I want to encourage you and pray for you. And so we had a wonderful time talking to this guy. It was just a glorious coincidence that God ordained out in the middle of nowhere in the woods. What a great thing. And so we do need to, to thank God for our brothers and sisters and to be encouraged to take courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. In other words, nobody was concerned about Paul being a risk of flight or whatever. They, they, they didn't keep him under guard. They didn't keep him chained or anything like that. He had a certain amount of freedom. People could come and go and see Paul while he was there in Rome. It, it's... The, the, this, the whole thing is sort of a case of mistaken identity with Paul, right? Because when he's, when he's on Malta, they, the, his identity is mistaken. They, they mistake him first for a murderer and then second for a god. Here, when they greet him in Rome, they know who he is. They know who Paul is. And, and they greet him in that way as a brother. With Jesus, he's up there, and, and the disciples don't quite know what to make of this whole thing. And so they're, they're, they're situating the three men as equals and what they find out is the voice from heaven proclaims no 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 no, you got it all wrong they're not equals this is my son the one i've chosen listen to him and and so that that's the way that we learn to live our lives in a different way from the rest of the world because we know that we have a hope because the resurrection of jesus that the rest of the world doesn't know anything about and doesn't understand It, it 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 hopes for something like a resurrection but it hopes in a different way than we do because our hope is secure